0: 7 Mount Pleasant Street Well it's the same room But everything's different You can fight the sleep But not the dream Things ain't cooking In my kitchen Strange affliction Wash over me Julius Caesar
1: Welcome to Mondays with Millie, a podcast about the past, with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Christofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 90-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Mm. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history. Which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges.
0: I like a room lizard, or do I sing like a bird released Everywhere you go, you always take the weather with you. Everywhere you go, you always take the weather. Everywhere you go, always Everywhere you go, always take the weather with you. Everywhere you go, you always take the weather, the weather with you.
1: episode number six of Mondays with Millie. In this episode, Kirsten is off to yet another ball, Chris heads off to the golf war, and we hear about Paul's life as a police dog handler with his first partner, Zach. Please enjoy this episode of Mondays with Millie. Take the
0: weather, the weather with you. Everywhere you go. Always take, you 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 always take the weather with you everywhere you go You always take the weather with you everywhere you go You always take the weather with you everywhere you go You always take the weather Take the weather the weather with you
1: By by this time Kirsten's growing up was there? Do you remember anything in particular about the fashion or the sort of music that she was listening to?
2: No, I, I, I don't think so. I think we got fed up with the same music, you know. But she, she, um, she wore short skirts, of course, but she always wore long black tights. Well, but she wore those tights for donkey's years, you know. Kirsten and her black tights. She had very long legs, you see, and uh, I, I don't know, I suppose she'd have looked silly without them, you know, but anyway, she wore these long black tights. But I, I I remember her going to her first ball and a friend of hers, her father was in the army, and they were having this regimental ball at the barracks at Preston. So he'd invited a few of the of the um pupils from arnold school so i made this dress for kirsten and it really was a very nice dress it was red taffeta and had black lace on top it was really nice and she looked she did look beautiful in it and when she came to go to the ball i said oh and you can borrow my evening purse you see and she said oh no i don't want that no no i'm taking my bag well, her bag was like a, a small rucksack that she used to take to school. And I said, you can't take. And I, she'd got evening She was never. I said, you can't take that. Don't be silly. Oh, no, no. This is the bag I'm taking. Well, I can't tell you. I just went crazy. And so off she went with this rucksack. And I and I carried on, and I said to John, "I will never make her another thing. I will never make her another thing. She's completely ruined the look, you know." <laughs> and he said, "Well, calm down, calm down. You know, of course, I did continue making dresses, but but oh gosh, I was so furious with her, you know." <laughs>
1: <about this. laughs> did you did you feel the generation gap open? Widely in front of you at that point
2: Well well, yes I suppose I, I did really because remember I was 38 when Kirsten was born She was a bit of an afterthought Wasn't she you know But um, she, 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 uh, she Was in the sea cadets at school Of course and just as Christopher had been and she Eventually became the joint Head of the naval section because By that time they had You see when Christopher was there It was only his last year there that they had girls. They were all boys before then. So he was the head of naval section. And, of course, then she became joint head because they had a boy and a girl as the the head of naval section. And um, she she, she used to go out onto Fairhaven Lake with some of the young pupils, the second-year pupils. You had to be in the second year before you could join the cadets, you see. And she'd take them out, teaching them to sail in the dinghies, you know. So one afternoon, John and I decided we would go and watch her. We knew that she was doing this. So uh, she, we went out there and we were watching. And one of the teachers was there that we were very friendly with. He was a friend of Christopher's. And she's t- showing this boy how to sail this dinghy. And he was being really stupid and he stood up and overturned the dinghy and they both finished up in the water. Well, it wasn't very deep, fortunately. It only came up to her waist, you know. But the point is, she started swearing at him. (laughs) And we'd never heard her swear before. (laughs) We, We didn't know what to do. But she didn't know we were there, you see. So this particular teacher, he, he he taught French. Actually, he was he was he was great, you know. And he liked Kirsten. He got her through a French exam, I can tell you. And uh, he just said, "I think you'd better clear off, don't you?" I said, "Yes." So we did. And when she came home, of course, she was very wet. And I said, "Oh dear, what's happened to you?" You know, and she said, "Oh no, oh it was just a mishap," you know all the rest of it and it was a long time before we told her that we'd witnessed her swearing <laughs> at this pupil <laughs> yeah
1: what was work and life like for the family throughout that period
2: well of course Paul Paul used to pop in uh, quite regularly uh, with Tamar and, and, and that but yes we, we missed Christopher and of course he he went to the, um, when the um, Gulf War was on, he was away for seven months when the Gulf War was on. Um, the Americans and the British were policing the Gulf, you see. It was the Iran-Iraq war, you know. And um, it was quite, we knew it was quite dangerous. They were, the Iranians were, had got these Exocet missiles and they were uh, doing these sort of, Uh, kamikaze attacks uh, on their their ships. In fact, just after Christopher's ship left the Gulf to come home, the Americans that were close to them, they were hit by one of these exoset missiles and um, some of the crew were killed and it had a big hole in the side of the ship. It was, yeah, it was very sad that. Um, so yes, we didn't see Christopher for quite a long time. It was quite a, a wonderful day when his ship came home, and we went down to Portsmouth to greet him. And uh, there were two ships came in together, and his ship was on the outside of, so he had to cross one to get onto the other one, you know. And it was amazing, really. <laughs> the discipline—I uh, mean, there were crowds there, families. Uh, Some of them had had got babies they hadn't seen, babies that were a few months old, and their fathers had never seen them, you know. And it was a very special occasion, that. And I always remember, um, you know that tune, Sailing, We Are Sailing? Rod Stewart sang it. It was his tune. Whenever I hear Rod Stewart sing that, it always takes me right back because the Marine Band were playing that. As the ship sailed in, it was very emotional.
1: oh, well, you would have been terribly worried, terribly worried about him while he was away.
2: Well, yes, we were because we knew what was happening, you know, um, we showed you on the news things that were happening, so and we didn't know exactly where he was. We knew he was there in the gulf somewhere um but um yes uh, <laughs> that was quite funny, actually. Uh, we I saw him, I saw him on the ship as it sailed in you see, and then and then, of course, we couldn't see them because of they were behind the other ship, so they made an announcement and said, Would the relatives from this first ship would they mind standing to one side to let the other people get through because they had to get on to go across and get onto the other ship? You see so by the time we got onto his ship. Christopher stood there holding this tiny little girl, toddler, in his arms. Well, John and I looked at each other, you know, and we thought, well, <laughs> where where's this come from? You know, stood there with this little girl. And it was quite funny because actually his friend, um, he'd, they'd got a new baby and he hadn't seen his new baby. So, of course, his wife wanted him to show him the new baby. She'd also got this little toddler. So Christopher had visited them before and he knew them very well. So he picked up the little girl, you see, and was holding her. And it looked as though he was her father.
1: <laughs> you wondered we, what he'd been up to.
2: Well, he hadn't we hadn't told you just, everything. Just for, just for a minute, we looked at each other and didn't say a word, you know. I thought, oh, are we in for a surprise? here you know <laughs> it was quite funny really
1: <laughs> did you ever try and talk him out of joining the navy because of your concerns about his no choice? but
2: they did well they did at school they did at school they they had a word with me uh on the parents night and they just said you know because christopher had had asthma you see earlier on and they said um They weren't concerned with that, mind you, but they just said, you know, most of the boys, you know, they they have a careers teacher and they say, well, I'd like to do this, or if not, I'd like to do that. He just wouldn't think about anything else. His head was just set on joining the Navy. And the careers teacher was quite worried about this. He said, you know, suppose he doesn't get in, suppose, suppose they don't accept him at Dartmouth and um he said you know it's quite it's quite difficult to get in especially he's he's going for a university cadetship you know that's what he's asking for and um he was they were quite worried and can you not sort of point him in the direction of a secondary choice and i said no i can't do that because i know it won't work and it's his choice and if it doesn't happen, then we will have to accept that and look at something else. So um, we were quite relieved, really, that he, he did get in, you know. He just never wanted to do anything else at all. Where did that
1: come from? from
2: I've no idea. From the age of 11, he, he just decided that's what he wanted to do. Yes.
1: Was it John's influence, well, well no. I think, you think?
2: Well, no, that was funny because John had done his national service in the Navy. But he was only an able seaman first class or something like that, you know. And uh, we did go to a function once and uh, a senior officer said to John, uh, and were you in the Navy? And so, of course, John said, yes. Oh, oh, he said, and and, and what were you then? And so he told him, you know. He looked a bit blank and went, oh, oh, right, you (laughs) know. I think he thought his father must have been an officer as well.
1: (laughs) Paul went back into the police to train as a dog handler. What year do you think that was?
2: Uh, I'm just trying to think. Um, Oh, no, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, Tamar would be, I think... uh, I think Tamar. Well, Tamar was in the junior school, of course. Um, so she would be about uh, eight then, I think. About eight, yes. So um, she's forty-four now, forty-five now, isn't she? Got well, to do the sums for me. <laughs> so it would
1: have been. It would have been. Uh... The mid nineteen eighties then. Oh the late eight yes. late eighties then. The, yep. Yes, yep. in the
2: nineteen eighties, yes. Yeah, yep, right. Yes.
1: And and why was that a relief for you? Obviously so you know, was it the pet shop thing wasn't really his maybe a hobby, not so much a a job choice. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. And it was very difficult as that in those days as well, you know, um getting a business going, it was he seemed to work so hard for very little, and he 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 did want to be back in the police force. He missed it. He missed it very much. Um, and then, of course, when he when he got onto the dog team, he was he was just very happy. But the first dog he got, Zach, he was very big. He was a, a almost black all over, little bit of white round his face, and he was very fierce. This dog and um German in fact, Shepherd when... a German Shepherd yes yeah. yes and when Paul first went over to to headquarters uh and they said uh, well we've got this dog here for you um but two trainers have tried to you know you can't get near him I think we're going to have to get rid of him you see he'd he'd come over from the Isle of Man someone had given this dog and he was very fierce, and uh, so Christopher uh, Paul said, well, um, right, well, it's going to take a few days. He said, I'll sit here, I'll sit here with the dog, you see. So he sat there with a newspaper and ignored the dog completely. And they used to have to throw its food over the top because it was so aggressive, you know. So... Um, He sat there and ignored the dog completely for a whole day. And people were watching saying, what on earth is going on, you know? So, and then the second day, the dog got curious and came up to him, looking through the wire netting, you know, much to say, what on earth is this person doing here? And uh, it took up three or four days. And eventually, Paul went inside And um, they were prepared, there was a group there prepared to get him out, quick if necessary. And the dog just, um, he just sniffed around him, you know, and said, I went inside, put my chair inside and sat there and (laughs) let the dog get closer to me. And by the time the, the, the 12 weeks of training was up, he was just doing absolutely anything that Paul wanted. And he was the top dog. But unfortunately, he didn't like other dogs. He liked people, but he didn't like other dogs. And Paul used to take him to schools um, to show the children, you know, to talk to the children about safety and things like that. And he used to take Zach with him. And the children just loved him. He used to do do tricks to show the children. You know, one of his tricks was carrying a, a fresh egg. And he'd carry this egg. Well, he'd pick it up and then he'd carry it and put it down in front of Paul. And then Paul would break it up into a dish and let him eat it, you see. And he was so gentle when he wanted to be, but very ferocious when he was working. And the first time we we saw that, he he brought him home and um, he said, well, I'll tell you what, he said, he's out in in his, you know, they had a, a, a sort of a, a large area where, that was covered in for the, for his kennel outside. Although to be honest, he didn't live outside. He he uh, officially lived outside, but he didn't. He lived in the house with them, and he um, he brought. He said, "You better sit down and just stay perfectly still when I bring him in." Well, this dog came in, and he was he was so tall. He was eye to eye with John, who was sat on the settee, you know. And Tom was terrified. <laughs> he looked so ferocious. And of course the dog absolute almost nose to nose looked at him, you know. <laughs> and he was a wonderful dog, he really was. And of course he uh, had to retire when he was injured. Um he he saved Paul from being badly hurt. Um, someone was going to attack him with a crowbar and the dog jumped between them and took the blow on the back of his back. And after that, he could work, but he he couldn't jump the same, you see. He couldn't jump over walls the same. So they said he'd have to be retired. So Paul took him home, and he lived for another five years. Um, but he, the problem was Paul had to train another dog, you see, and to take to work. And poor Zach, he used to get very upset. As soon as Paul put his uniform on to go to work, he thought he could go as well and of course he got left behind and the other dog went instead and uh he'd get upset about
0: that walking around the room singing stormy weather at 57 mount pleasant street well it's the same room but everything's different you can fight the sleep but not the dream
1: And that concludes episode one, season six of Mondays with Millie. In the next episode we hear about Chris's dream come true, a chance to serve on active duty as the first golf war kicks off. We look forward to your company again next week.
0: the blue sky A small boat made of China It's going nowhere on the mental piece. Well, do I lie
1: like Mondays with Millie is an e-learned production Editing and dodgy guitar work by yours truly, Phil Christofaro Vocal work by everywhere Millie's granddaughter, Neve.
0: You always take the weather with you everywhere you go you always take the weather everywhere you go I always take the weather with you everywhere you go You always take the weather, the weather with you Take Take the weather, the weather with you. Everywhere you go, you always take the weather with you. Everywhere you go, you always take the weather with you. Everywhere you go, you always take the weather with you. Everywhere you go. Take the weather, take the weather, the weather with you.